0: Chapter Twenty of Brairstock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Beverly of Brairstock by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter Twenty. Gossip of some consequence. There is no time to be lost, exclaimed Count Marleks. "'Ask Colonel Braze to report to me at the eastern gate with a detail of picked troopers, "'a hundred of them. "'I will meet them there in half an hour.' "'He gave other sharp imperative commands, "'and in the twinkling of an eye the peaceful atmosphere was transformed "'into the turbulent, exciting rush of activity. "'The significance of the fire seen in the hills could not be cheaply held, instant action was demanded. The city was filled with the commotion of alarm. The army was brought to its feet with a jerk that startled even the most ambitious. The first thing that General Marlings did was to instruct Quinnox to set a vigilant watch over Baldos. He was not to be arrested, but it was understood that the surveillance should be but little short of incarceration." He was found at the barracks shortly after the report concerning the signal fires, and told in plain words that General Marlanx had ordered a guard placed over him for the time being. Pending the result of an investigation, Baldos had confidently expected to be thrown into a dungeon for his affront. He did not know that Grenfell Lorry stood firm in his conviction that Beldos was no spy, and was supported by others in high authority. Marlanx was bottling his wrath and holding back his revenge for a distinct purpose. Apart from the existence of a strong, healthy prejudice in the guard's favour, what the old general believed and what he could prove were two distinct propositions. He was crafty enough, however, to take advantage of a condition unknown to Beverly Calhoun, the innocent cause of all his bitterness toward Baldos. As he hastened from the council chamber, his eyes swept the crowd of eager, excited women in the Grand Hall. From among them he picked Beverly, and advanced upon her without regard for time and consequence. Despite her animation he was keen enough to see that she was sorely troubled. She did not shrink from him as he had half expected, but met him with bold disdain in her eyes. This is the work of your champion, he said in tones that did not reach ears other than her own. I prophesied it. You must remember. Are you satisfied now that you have been deceived in him? I have implicit confidence in him, "'I suppose you have ordered his arrest?' she asked with quiet scorn. "'He is under surveillance at my suggestion. For your sake and yours alone, I am giving him a chance. "'He is your protege. You are responsible for his conduct. To accuse him would be to place you in "'an embarrassing position. There is a sickening rumour in court circles that you have more than a merely kind and friendly interest in the rascal. If I believe that, Miss Calhoun, I fear my heart could not be kind to him. But I know it is not true. You have a loftier love to give. He is a clever scoundrel, and there is no telling how much harm he has already done to Crawstark. His every move is to be watched and reported to me, it will be impossible for him to escape. To save him from vengeance of the army, I am permitting him to remain in your service, ostensibly at least. His hours of duty have been changed, however. Henceforth he is in the night guard from midnight till dawn. I am telling you this, Miss Calhoun, because I want you to know that in spite of all the indignity, I have suffered. You are more to me than any other being in the world, more to me even than my loyalty to Graustark. Do me the honour and justice to remember this. I have suffered much for you. I am a rough, hardened soldier, and you have misconstrued my devotion. Forgive the harsh words my passion may have inspired. Farewell. I must off to undo the damage we all lay at the door of the man you and I are protecting. He was too wise to give her the chance to reply. A moment later he was mounted and off for the eastern gates, there to direct the movements of Colonel Bray's and his scouts. Beverly flew at once to Yetive with her plea for Baldos. She was confronted by a rather sober-faced sovereign. THE NEWS OF THE HOUR WAS NOT COMFORTING TO THE PRINCESS AND HER MINISTERS. YOU DON'T BELIEVE HE IS A SPY, CRIED BEVERLY, STOPPING JUST INSIDE THE DOOR, PRESUMING SELFISHLY THAT BALDOS ALONE WAS THE CAUSE FOR WORRY. SHE RESOLVED TO TELL Yetive OF THE CONFLICT IN THE PARK. DEAR ME, BEVERLY, I AM NOT THINKING OF HIM. WE HAVE DISCUSSED HIM JOINTLY AND SEVERELY AND EVERY OTHER WAY. "'and he has been settled for the time being. "'You are the only one who is thinking of him, my dear child. "'We have weightier things to annoy us. "'Goodness, how you talk! "'He isn't annoying. "'Oh, forgive me, Yetive, "'for I am the silliest, addle goose in the kingdom, "'and you are so troubled. "'But do you know that he is being watched? "'They suspect him. "'So did I at first, I'll admit.' BUT I DON'T NOW. HAVE YOU READ THE NOTE I GAVE TO YOU OUT THERE? YES, DEAR. IT'S JUST AS I EXPECTED. HE HAS KNOWN FROM THE BEGINNING. HE KNEW WHEN HE CAUGHT DAGMAR AND ME SPYING BEHIND THAT abominable CURTAIN. BUT DON'T WORRY ME ANY LONGER ABOUT HIM, PLEASE. WAIT HERE WITH ME UNTIL WE HAVE REPORTS FROM THE TROOPS. I SHALL NOT SLEEP UNTIL I KNOW WHAT THOSE FIRES MEANT. "'Forget Baldos for an hour or two, for my sake. "'You dear old princess, I'm an awful brute, sure enough. "'I'll forget him forever for your sake. "'It won't be hard either. "'He's just a mere guard. Pooh, "'He's no prince.' "'Whereupon, reinforced by Mrs. Anguish and the Countess Halfont, "'she proceeded to devote herself to the task of soothing "'and amusing the distressed princess,' while the soldiers of Graustark ransacked the moonlit hills. The night passed, and the next day was far on its way to sunset, before the scouts came in with tidings. No trace of the mysterious signalers had been found. The embers of the half-dozen fires were discovered, but their builders were gone. The search took in miles of territory, but it was unavailing. Not even a straggler was found. The so-called troop of actors, around whom suspicion centred, had been swallowed by the capacious solitude of the hills. Riders from the frontier posts to the south came in with the report that all was quiet in the threatened district. Dorsbergen was lying quiescent, but with the readiness of a skulking dog. There was absolutely no solution to the mystery connected with the fires on the mountain sides. Baldos was questioned privately and earnestly by Lorry and Dangloss. His reply was simple, but it furnished food for reflection and, at the same time, no little relief to the troubled leaders. It is my belief, Mr. Lorry, that fires were built by brigands and not by your military foes. I have seen these fires in the north, near Axfan, and they were invariably meant to establish communication between separated squads of robbers, all belonging to one band. My friends and I on more than one occasion narrowly escaped disaster by prying into the affairs of these signallers. I take it that the squads have been operating in the south, and were brought together last night by means of the fires. Doubtless they have some big project of their own sort on foot. That night the city looked for a repetition of the fires, but the mountains were black from dusk till dawn. Word reached the castle late in the evening that an Axvanian nobleman and his followers would reach Idlewise the next day. The visit was a friendly but an important one. The nobleman was no other than the young Duke of Misrox, intimate friend of the unfortunate Prince Lorenz, who met his death at the hand of Prince Gabriel, and was the leader of the party which opposed the vengeful plans of Princess Volga. His arrival in Idlewise was awaited with deep anxiety, for it was suspected that his news would be of the most important character. Beverly Calhoun sat on the balcony with the princess long after midnight. The sky was black with the clouds of an approaching storm. The air was heavy with foreboding silence. Twice from their darkened corner near the pillar, they saw Baldos as he paced steadily past the castle on patrol. With Hayden at his side, Dreamily, the watchers in the cool balcony looked down upon the sombre park and its occasional guardsmen. Neither was in the mood to talk. As they rose at last to go to their rooms, something whizzed through the air and dropped with a slight thud in the centre of the balcony. The two young women started back in alarm. A faint light from Beverly's window filtered across the stone floor. "'Don't touch it, Beverly,' cried the princess, as the girl started forward with an eager exclamation. But Beverly had been thinking of the very object that now quivered before her in the dull light, saucy, aggressive, and jaunty, as it was, the night when she saw it for the first time. A long, slim, red feather bobbed to and fro, as if saluting her with soldierly fidelity, its base was an orange, into which it had been stuck by the hand that tossed it from below. Beverly grasped it with more ecstasy than wisdom, and then rushed to the stone railing, Yetive looking on in amazement. Diligently she searched the ground below for the man who had sent the red message, but he was nowhere in sight. Then came the sudden realisation that she was revealing a most unmaidenly eagerness to him as well as to the princess for she did not doubt that he was watching from the shadows below she withdrew from the rail in confusion and fled to her bedchamber followed by a curious companion there were explanations none of which struck speaker or listener as logical and there were giggles which completely simplified the situation. Beverly thrust the slim red feather into her hair and struck an attitude that would have set Baldos wild with joy if he could have seen it. The next day, when she appeared in the park, the feather stood up defiantly from the band of her sailor hat, though womanly perverseness impelled her to ignore Baldos when he passed her on his way to Mess. The Duke of Misrox came into the city hours after the time set for his arrival. It was quite dark when the escort sent by Colonel Quinnox drew up at the castle gates with the visitor. The Duke and his party had been robbed by brigands in the broad daylight and at a point not more than five miles from Idlewise. And thus the mystery of the signal fires was explained. Count Marlanx did not soon forget the triumphant look he received from Beverly Calhoun when the duke's misfortunes were announced. Shameless as it may seem, she rejoiced exceedingly over the acts of the robbers. Miss Rox announced to the princess and her friends that he was not an emissary from the Axvanian government. Instead he was but little less than a fugitive from the wrath of Volga and the crown adherence earlier in the week. He had been summoned before Volga and informed that his absence for a few months, at least from the principality, was desirable. The privilege was allowed him of selecting the country which he desired to visit during that period, and he coolly chose Graustark. He was known to have friendly feelings for that state, but no objections were raised. This friendship also gave him a welcome in Ederweiss. Misrox plainly stated his position to Yetive and the Prime Minister. He asked for protection, but declined to reveal any of the plans that maturing in his home country. This reluctance to become a traitor, even though he was not in sympathy with his sovereign, was respected by the Princess. He announced his willingness to take up arms against Dawsbergen, but would in no way antagonise Axefan from an enemy's camp. The Duke admitted that the feeling in Axfan's upper circles was extremely bitter toward Graustark. The old-time war spirit had not died down. Axfan despised her progressive neighbour. I may as well inform your highness that the regent holds another and a deeper grudge against graustark he said in the audience chamber where were assembled many of the nobles of the state late on the night of his arrival she insists that you are harbouring and even shielding the pretender to our throne prince frederick it is known that he is in graustark and moreover it is asserted that he is in direct touch with your government. Yetive and her companions looked at one another with glances of comprehension. He spoke in English now for the benefit of Beverly Calhoun, an interested spectator, who felt her heart leap suddenly and swiftly into violent insurrection. Nothing could be more ridiculous, said Yetive after a pause. We do not know Frederick and we are not harbouring him. I am only saying what is believed to be true by Axvan, your Highness. It is reported that he joined you in the mountains in June, and since has held a position of trust in your army. Would you know Prince Frederick if you were to see him? quietly asked Lorry. I have not seen him since he was a very small boy, and then, but for a moment, on the day when he and his mother were driven through the streets on their way to exile. "'We have a new man in the castle guard, and there is a mystery attached to him. Would you mind looking at him and telling us if he is what Frederick might be in his manhood?' Lorry put the question, and every one present drew a deep breath of interest. Miss Rox readily consented, and Baldos, "'intercepted on his rounds, was led unsuspecting into an outer chamber. "'The Duke, accompanied by Lorry and Baron Dangloss, entered the room. "'They were gone from the assemblage but a few minutes, "'returning with smiles of uncertainty on their faces. "'It is impossible, Your Highness, for me to say whether or not it is Frederick,' "'said the Duke frankly.' He is what I imagine the pretender might be at his age, but it would be sheer folly for me to speculate. I do not know the man. Beverly squeezed the Countess Dagmar's arm convulsively. "'Hooray!' she whispered, in great relief. Dagmar looked at her in astonishment. She could not fathom the whimsical American. They have been keeping an incessant watch over the home of Frederick's cousin, he is to marry her when the time is propitious, volunteered the young Duke. She is the most beautiful girl in Axvan, and the family is one of the wealthiest. Her parents bitterly opposed the match. They were to have been secretly married some months ago, and there is a rumour to the effect that they did succeed in evading the vigilance of her people. You mean that they may be married? asked Yeti. Casting a quick glance at Beverly, it is not improbable, your highness. He is known to be a daring young fellow, and he has never failed in a siege against the heart of women. Report has it that he is the most invincible lothario that ever donned love's armor. Beverly was conscious of furtive glances in her direction, and a faint pink stole into her temples. "'Our fugitive princes are lucky in neither love nor war,' went on the Duke. "'Poor Danton, who is hiding from Gabrielle, is betrothed to the daughter of the present Prime Minister of Dawesbergen, the beautiful Lelanda. "'I have seen her. She is glorious, your Highness.' "'I, too, have seen her,' said Yetive, more gravely than she thought. "'The report of their betrothal is true, then.' His sudden overthrow prevented the nuptials, which were to have taken place in a month had not Gabrielle returned. Her father, the Duke of Matz, wisely accepted the inevitable and became Prime Minister to Gabrielle. Lolanda, it is said, remains true to him and sends messages to him as he wanders through the mountains. Beverly's mind instantly reverted to the confessions of Valdos. He had admitted the sending and receiving of messages through Franks. Try as she would, she could not drive the thought from her mind that he was Danton, and now came the distressing fear that his secret messages were words of love from Lolanda. The audience lasted until late in the night, but she was so occupied with her own thoughts that she knew of but little that transpired. Of one thing she was sure she could not go to sleep that night. End of chapter 20